Xeroxing was when you used to have to take the Index Medicus over to the machine, put money in the machine so you can make copies of the article. I hope this is not uh, too retro for you. And that machine uploads it to your (laughs) iPad? I don't care. Uh, No, there's no iPad. There's no iPhone. Welcome back to the Curbside. Hi, how you doing? The internal medicine podcast. The only one. That uses expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. I'm Matthew Watto. Hey, Dr. Watto. Here wait, we... wait a second. What about knowledge food for your brain hole? We say that in the outro. Oh. This is the intro. I, okay. I, I always get too mixed up. I'm but so we sorry. will be bringing you a lot of knowledge food on this episode. For your brain hole. <laughs> so I'm here with Stuart Why Brigham. Why funny? Hi, Stuart. Hi, how are you doing? Did I already say hi? Uh, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. That's okay. It's because you're a pretty pimpin'. <laughs> I actually listened to that song. I, apparently, I did know that song. Did you like it? Kurt Vile. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's not bad. So I didn't listen to it. This is part two of our, of our discussion with Dr. Centaur. Dr. Centaur, who you may know from part one, is the author of the Centaur Criteria. Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. They don't know him from part one. They know him from Centaur's Criteria. Matt. <laughs> who you know from the Centaur Criteria. And also part one of our show, which was awesome, with Dr. Centaur. Dr. Centaur currently works for the University of Alabama, where he is a dean, and he is a master clinician educator, and we had him on the show Part one, talking about medical education. If you haven't listened to that yet, then you might want to stop this and go back and check that out. And this part two of the show, we talk about pharyngitis, which is the episode where I don't know about Lemire syndrome. So He still doesn't. We talk all about pharyngitis just for your listening pleasure since we're in the upcoming cough and cold season. This might be relevant to your practice. Please enjoy. Dr. Sedtor, I wanted to, we haven't, we haven't talked about pharyngitis at all yet. I, I, if you have some time, I'd like to ask you about that, but if not, I understand. And I think, you know, this has been tremendously helpful, your perspective on medical education. And if you've had fun, we could even bring you back at a future date. We've had other guests that have repeated multiple shows. So it's up to you, sir. Well, well, I'm certainly happy to come back, but a chance to talk about pharyngitis. How could I? How could I say no? Okay, <laughs> excellent. I will. I will say. Oh yeah. Yeah. I. I, I have one uh, segue question. Is that so? I. I absolutely love the name Centaur oh, Criteria. I think it's unique. I think it's just creative. I want to know how many different names did you guys consider before settling on this unique name? We didn't name it. <laughs> <laughs> the best possible answer. <laughs> yeah. So actually. Uh, uh, the name comes from Ellis Island. Really? From Ellis Island. Please, do <laughs> you, you have to tell this story. Please. So my, my, my uh, great-grandfather immigrated this country from Poland in the 1910s or so to avoid conscription with the Tsar, which is a really good thing to do, avoiding conscription with the Tsar. Uh, he got to Ellis Island. <laughs> He didn't speak any English, and they said, what's your name? And, and it turns out the name from Poland was something called Cent- Centara. Hmm. Uh, and somebody wrote down Centaur, and that became our name. Uh, most of our second and third cousins are named Century. 
So do you come from a line of centaurs? Uh, yes, okay. yes. Um, and the question is, which half am I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to fall into that trap, sir. Yes, I, so that, I had some medical students who who got me this great port, portrait, and they defined centaur as uh, the intellect of a man and the rear end of a horse. That's. <laughs> I think they're trying to say I was. Well, I'm not going to go there. You can you can figure it out yourself. At least it wasn't the rear end of a donkey. So this is a link, sir. You told us that you went to medical school. Uh, it seemed better than Vietnam. Your family came to the U.S. It seemed better than enlisting in the armed forces for the czar. Is that what you're telling us there? That's exactly, that's correct. Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, strong family history of good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Said? Hmm. I, I'm not quite sure how to comment on that one. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, so anyway. Um, I'm speechless. Let's, let's, let's go more about the origin of the Centaur criteria here. How did that come about? So, um, after residency, I did a year of, uh, rat research in Dallas, uh, and found out that I really hated rats and I really liked people. I was doing, uh, nephrology and I was doing micropuncture and it was not my future. So I went back, uh, to the medical college of Virginia in Richmond where I'd been a resident, uh, and they'd already asked me to be a chief resident the following year. And the job that I got in general internal medicine included supervising in the emergency room. And we had two emergency rooms. We had the, the emergency room, and then we had the non-acute emergency room, which, uh, which I think is one of the great oxymorons that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, so I'm in the non-acute emergency room, and one of the residents comes up to me and asks me how to take care of this young man with a sore throat. And I don't know what you guys were like when you were senior residents, when I was a senior resident, I was pretty cocky. Uh, some people say I still am, but I was really cocky back then. It didn't matter what you asked me, I had an answer. And you've all known senior residents like that. Yeah, Paul. For some reason, for some reason this day, I admitted I had no idea how to take care of a sore throat. <laughs> um, so of all I said, things. that's really an interesting question. So because I couldn't Google it because there was no Google there or internet. This is, this is 1980 when this happens. Yeah. I walked to the library and you guys might not understand this concept, but I walked three blocks to the library Which and then I got out of index medicus. And I don't know if you ever saw an index medicus, but it weighs about three pounds. It has about 2000 pages alphabetized. And I started going through, three months by three months to look for articles on pharyngitis in adults, found some articles, Xerox them. Xerox was when you used to have to take the index medicus over to the machine, put money in the machine so you can make copies of the article. Man. I hope this is not uh, too retro for you. This, I, I think I was um, born one or two years after this. Okay, keep going. Yeah. And, and that machine uploads it to your iPad? I don't care. Uh, no, there's no iPad. There's no iPhone. Uh, so then I say, I think that we could predict who has strep and who doesn't. So I went and talked to this uh, wonderful microbiologist, Harry Dalton. And uh, in those days was before IRBs. And where you could sort of fudge around your budget. And he said he'd do a bunch of cultures for me for free. So oh. we collected clinical data. We collected cultures. And then I had over 300 patients uh, with their 
culture results and their clinical results, and we collected a number of things that were suggested in the literature. Then I had no idea what to do, so I go, go to meet with this uh, statistician, which I should have done before I started the study, but I, was, <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, and he walks out of the room. Fifteen minutes, he comes back, and he has a Xeroxed copy of a procedure from SAS called Proclogist, which is logistic regression. He says, just do a logistic regression. It'll be okay. I didn't know how to program a computer. I knew nothing about statistics, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck this is. So I spent the next three months learning <laughs> how to punch cards. Now, I, I honestly had to go down to the third basement because that was the only place cool, cold enough for the computer. It was this big mainframe computer, and I, I carried a box of cards around that were punched with all the clinical data and then all the programs I wrote to do the analysis. Um, and the analysis turned out to be published uh, as the, the score that we all now know in a journal called Medical Decision Making, which uh, it was in the, like the third issue ever of that journal. It was a brand new society of the Society of Medical Decision Making. Sounds like a win-win for them and for you. Yeah, so, so then over the next 10 to 15 years, a number of people saw that and uh, validated it, that it worked over and over again. And then people asked me, well, why is it, why, why are you an eponym? And I, I really don't know. I, I didn't know the answer until about five years after I became an eponym. Um, <laughs> I became an eponym in year 2000. Oh. Uh, and I know the article, it's in the Rational Cl Clinical Exam Series, and it's uh, written by a family physician named Mark Ebel, who looked at all the different ways to diagnose strep throat and said the best way was the article that I'd done, and he wrote down the Centaur criteria. And somehow that became viral, and all of a sudden all the books and all the articles refer to it as the Centaur criteria. It's, I, and I'm, I'm not being falsely modest here. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> so you should have copyrighted it. Really? Yeah, Stuart I, wanted to I, know why we had to pay money every time we use it. That's right. Every time I say center <laughs> criteria, there's three pennies there. Yeah. It's like the mini mental status exam. Apparently, we're supposed. Oh no! To don't say that. Don't say that, please. Cash like cash like probably owes a lot of money for using that one. It's a dollar seventy five. Uh, we gosh darn it. We use the slums. Yeah, yeah so slums. I found out <laughs> five years later that uh, one of my friends, David Simel, who's the editor of the Re Rational Clinical Exam series, is the one who put my name on it, and I sort of thanked him. My parents thought it was really great. My kids <laughs> think it's really great. And all of my students and residents think it's really great. And people randomly come up to me or send me emails and say, I got a question right on the internal medicine boards because of you. That's great. <laughs> it's all your fault. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I literally used it twice in the last week. or Yeah. So uh, yeah. It, was, it was really lucky that it was... There was no good planning here. This was pure serendipity. Well, you, you, well, I'll just say I know you're being modest. You did spend three weeks carrying around punch cards and teaching yourself how to <laughs> how to write programs. So there's, you know, you put some blood, sweat, and tears in this one. It sounds like. Yeah, I did. I, I did, but I, but I did get lucky. But I think the moral of the story is is that if he had this idea nowadays, it would take about twenty years to publish and get uh, you know pushed through the IRB. Stuart, if we can find a way to pay off a pathologist to do some free work for us. 
Skirt the IRB. We can probably get something named after ourselves. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the, the, the article that we just did on Fusobacterium, it, it took us less than a year to get it through the IRB and find the money to, to, do, to do the study. So it, it, can, it can still be done. It's just a little bit, a lot more hoops to jump through. Yeah, we, we do have a lemonade stand out, out front so we can raise money for some <laughs> of our studies. So we're, we're good. <laughs> I was planning on taking the royalties from this performance uh, to pay for my next research project. Well, that, that's good because it's actually negative. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're making uh, negative. We're we're yeah, we're in the red right now. So which one's good? The red. <laughs> the red's bad, right? The red's bad. Yeah, because yes. of Black Friday. Red's bad, right. Yeah. Okay, that's how I, I, I remember. Schedule. I I know what red means. <laughs> uh, so, sir, you mentioned Fusobacterium. What when when someone is approaching a case of acute pharyngitis? In all in all honesty, what what do we not want to miss? What are some bad things that could be going on there that are going to require treatment? Uh, and who can we just send home and say, go on your way? Okay. So the first thing we have to do is we have to separate, separate out pre-adolescence from adolescence. Pre-adolescence, it's strip or it's nothing. Okay. A- adolescents are much more complicated. And I mean that in every sense, <laughs> but especially for pharyngitis. Let me tell you how they're so different. So group A is the most common cause of pharyngitis, bacterial cause in preadolescence. Preadolescents do not get mono. They get EBV infections, but they don't get mono. They don't get sore throats from uh, Epstein-Barr. Adolescents do. Group C and G occur in uh, adolescents and young adults, almost never cause pharyngitis in uh, preadolescence. And fusobacterium, uh, there are two good review articles that just came out in the last six months uh, that Fusobacterium is an important cause of adolescent young adult pharyngitis. It doesn't cause it in preadolescence. There's something different about adolescent tonsils. Um, I hope somebody figures out what it is, but they get different infections. So what can we not afford to miss when uh, someone comes in with a sore throat? The first thing is if there's any chance that it could possibly be acute HIV, you don't want to miss that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can treat it. Uh, the second, the second thing is you don't want to miss a peritonsor abscess, and you want to know what the red flags are that make you think about Fusobacterium and uh, the Lemaire syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've we've actually just submitted. Uh, some some research on this, and it's consistent with what Lemaire said back in 1936. People with sore throats should not have rigors. If they have rigors, really good shaking chills, then put them in the hospital, get a blood culture, and start them on antibiotics. They shouldn't have unilateral neck swelling. If they have unilateral neck swelling, you need to image it and look for a clot in the internal jugular vein. And sore throats should get better in three to five days. And if they're not getting better, you need to really think very hard about the entire differential. And you said a clot? Yeah, the people with Lemaire's have uh, an internal jugular separative thrombophobitis. And they usually have neck swelling and severe neck pain. Oh, okay. I see. I, I, don't, I don't think I've seen that uh, yet. Is it how how common are these one, these red flag ones like the Lemaire's and the uh, Fusobacterium? So Fusobacterium causes Lemaire's. It's the most common cause of peritonsillar abscess. Peritonsillar abscess probably is one percent 
uh, people have bacterial pharyngitis will end up with it if they don't get antibiotics. Uh, Lemaire syndrome, according to the Danish data, and that's where the best epidemiology is done is in Denmark, um, is about 1 in 70,000 uh, will develop it. Uh, uh, 1 in 70,000 who have uh, sore throats per year will, will uh, progress to Lemaire's if they don't have antibiotics. So you're, you're not going to see a lot of it. I've seen several cases. Of course, every time there's one uh, anywhere around, I get a call, so I get to go see the patient. <laughs> Is there a particular case that you can highlight that might kind of, you know, st- like tell our listeners what that might present as or that, you, that you've seen something go bad? Uh, I actually have a case where something went good. Okay, that, that um, works. <laughs> so we, we had a young man who was uh, admitted to the hospital. He, he first came to the emergency department. They did a strep test. It was negative, but uh, they thought he really looked bad, so they gave him some amoxicillin. And Fusobacterium usually does respond to that. He, he got worse and had rigors. Uh, his mom and he was in his 20s, his mom convinced him to come to the hospital. They admit him to the hospital. They, they put him on, uh, uh, on Sosin, and uh, he, uh, they, they did imaging and found a non-occluding clot. Now, usually, Lemaire's has an occluding clot. Mm. They continued him on, on the piperacillin tazobactam, um, he, he continued to have rigors for about three or four more days. But after about four or five days, his neck was not as tender. They re-imaged him, and the clot had disappeared. He never got the septic emboli that most patients get, uh-huh. uh, and he was totally cured, probably because he got antibiotics so early. Uh, the, key, the key is to start treatment early. And the problem is, right now, we can't culture fusobacterium on throat culture because it's an anaerobe. Uh, and uh, we don't have any rapid tests for uh, fusobacterium. My, I have some understanding that we're going to have some uh, tests available for fusobacterium sometime within the next year or so. There are some companies that are developing uh, some PCR techniques. And uh, I have not managed a case of this, so I'm ignorant on the topic. Are they getting anticoagulation for the clot as well, or are antibiotics the primary yeah. treatment? Yeah, so antibiotics are the primary treatment. Uh, many people use anticoagulation, but there is no evidence that it helps. Uh, but still, a lot of patients get anticoagulated. Uh, in fact, I just read an article yesterday that made this point once again, that most, something like a half to two-thirds get, antibi- uh, get anticoagulation without any evidence that you need anticoagulation. And where are these septic emboli going when they get the septic emboli? Primarily the lungs. Okay. So the so the ICU docs know this the best, but there are brain abscesses, there are um, joint and bone uh, infections, occasionally the liver, but lung far and away. And that makes sense because if it's the if it's the internal juggler, you have to go uh, through the venous system and into the lungs. And that's the most logical place for the septic emboli to end up. Doctor Water, how did you pass your boards without knowing this? 
I uh, <laughs> I I paid someone off. I thought we've covered that. <laughs> it's one question. You can miss one question. That's true. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we all missed more than one question. Okay. You've <laughs> water missed a lot. You've uh, all right. So I'm the dumb one on the show. Okay. We all know that now. All right, uh, <laughs> uh, sir. So uh, let's move the. Uh, what about home strep testing? Why is that a bad idea? Um, false sense of security, um, difficulty in getting a good sample. I, I just can't think of any good reason to do it because it all the, the problem with strep testing, it's perfectly fine in pre-adolescence, but in adolescents and young adults, it is oversimplifying the differential diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so those patients need to be seen by a physician to make sure that they don't have one of these more, uh, one of these red flag conditions. I, I think so. Or at least, uh, patients need to know what the red flags are. And that's that one of the things I'm trying, I'm trying to teach everybody what the red flags are, uh, so they'll all worry about it. Right. Uh, because, 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 uh, it's such a devastating disease. And antibiotic choices for when you think a patient needs antibiotics for strep, what are you, what are you grabbing for? I like the IDSA recommendation of amoxicillin once a day. Once a day. Interesting. Once a day. That's what IDSA has some data on that. Um, and that covers most fusobacterium also. Okay. So you're covering strep, you're covering the fusobacterium. Right. Uh, what I won't do is if they're allergic to penic- if they're truly allergic to penicillin, I don't think we should use uh, macrolides for adolescent young adult sore throat as a second choice. If they're really sick and we're concerned, then I think we need to go to clindamycin. Makes sense. You guys have any other questions on the on pharyngitis topic? We've taken a lot of your time, sir. So I want to. I want to start to wrap up. I usually this is when Stuart uh, or someone else comes up with an off the wall question. So. Absolutely, I, I always have off the wall <laughs> questions as long as you're okay with them. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's your five k runtime right now? Uh, my five k runtime. Uh, so I have. I, I'm I'm supposed to run a five k on Sunday with my son in law. Okay. But I hurt my back, and oh. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to run. But my goal is between 27 and 28 minutes. Yeah, that's that's what you had written. 20, so I was, was kind of hoping you'd, you'd, you'd say you'd beaten your goal. Okay. Stuart, Stuart told us he ran a 5K last night. So, Stuart, what did you run? Oh, please don't ask me that. <laughs> yeah, well, what's your time? <laughs> hmm. did, okay. did he beat you? Well, probably. I don't know. I, I, I ran it in 28 <laughs> it minutes a, and a 15 seconds. <laughs> it was more like a 5K, I can't catch my breath. Yeah. <laughs> Five can't is what it was. Yeah. All right. Okay, sir. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. And at this point, I usually like to ask our guests, do you have any uh, take-home points you'd like to give the listeners? Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, we'll, we'll let you have the last word. The uh, big take-home point in education is never assume that the students and residents know the basics. They love to hear the basics over and over again, and you'll be surprised what they don't know. So that's my educational take-home message. Uh, my pharyngitis take-home message is sore throats don't get worse after you see them. If they're getting worse, you better start really thinking. Great. Thank you so much. 
anything to plug? Uh, I'll plug for you. Medrants.com is uh, a great blog, and your Twitter feed is also great micro blog or whatever they call it. So people should definitely check those out. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Thanks, sir. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. You can find show notes along with links to any articles. Does anyone actually read the show notes? I read the I show notes. I hope so. A... You do? Yeah. Along with links to any articles, books, <laughs> websites, or apps mentioned on the show at... The... What apps do you want to mention today? Thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast. That's not an app. That's not an app. Uh, I think we... Do you want to mention an app? Uh, we, we talked about up to date. That has an app, doesn't it? That's... That's weak. Okay. Um, uh, I think he mentioned USA Today. They have an app. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, and please, please, please leave us a review. Uh, I think Stuart is one of our only reviewers, which is kind of pathetic. Five. Five <laughs> reviews. <laughs> Including Dr. Watto's mom. Uh, no, that's not true. And the three uh, she stars doesn't know how to use iTunes. <laughs> uh, please leave us a review. This helps others discover the show, and uh, then we... We can, in turn, be, be uh, encouraged and make more shows so that you can continue to listen and enjoy. And as, uh, as we all know, we want to encourage Dr. Watto. Yes. I have very low self-esteem and need encouragement. Because he doesn't know what Lemire syndrome is. <laughs> you can contact us directly, if you want, by emailing us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. Or you can uh, leave a message on our pages on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+, or on Twitter, at thecurbsiders. And if you're interested, you can also contact Dr. Watto on christianmingle.com. <laughs> uh, it's actually J-Date, but that's fine. Until next time, I've been Matthew Watto. Here with... Oh, sweet mercy. Somebody. This is Paul Williams. <laughs> Killing me. <laughs> I'm still Tony Sideri. What up, G? <laughs> I, I, th- I think that was Stuart. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> 